0: This is John Anderchek. It is September 19th, 2020, of course. I'm recording an interview with Ellen Spencer, who is running for the State Senate District in Idaho, District 14, I'm recording this from my home on the Clearwater River in Idaho County, Idaho, We're overnight and this morning we received a great rain. Uh, We're all happy for that. Ellen reports down in her and Idaho, though, it's still smoky. So Ellen, welcome to uh, this recording. And uh, I'll just go ahead and and turn it over to you. You You'd like to introduce yourself, your background, uh, your district. Uh, We'll go from there and get into some uh, uh, state labor issues
1: okay thank you john i appreciate your time and this opportunity um, as you said i am ellen spencer i am the independent candidate running for the idaho state senate seat in district 14. and i'm, I'm really excited to be doing this and i think i'm it's it's time for it was time for me i was compelled um, i am running on a platform that we need to bring the people back into our government their voice I I have been able to sit in the legislature um, for a few times over the years, and I just felt that they weren't hearing. It wasn't that they're not hearing, they're just not paying attention. It's not material. And the people have been speaking for many, many years on issues that affect them at home. And it's time for those issues to be worked on. And that's what I want to do. District 14 comprises Eagle. Star and parts of Northwest Meridian, and we have a very diverse area—agricultural, urban, suburban. Uh, growth is greatly impacting District 14, so we have a lot of issues with that that need to be addressed. Uh, house prices, so taxes have gone up because there's been a lot of building, a lot of moving around, um, and that's affecting our constituents. So there's a myriad of issues that need to be addressed, have asked to be addressed, and they have not. So I, that is one of the things I'm running for, um, issues that really in, that I'm passionate about are education, um, uh, labor, uh, public lands, taxes. Um, and those are just a few. There, I could go along the list, but I think that that's, a, that's enough to start with. And I know we're going to talk about labor today, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Right, and thank you. And I'm glad you brought up public lands because I consider that a, a labor or a worker issue, uh, Ellen. Uh, so I'll, I'll jump right into that if you don't mind, kind of switch gears. But uh, to me, public lands is a worker issue because I look upon it as our inheritance, the common ground. And, uh, you know, our family goes up into the public lands to cut firewood. Uh, our our daughter and her family are up there all the time uh camping hunting fishing mm-hmm. uh and you know for for 90 for the 99% of Idaho uh this is what we get we're not going to go out open our checkbook and buy 10,000 acres 100,000 acres or make a deal behind closed doors to swap lands uh this is our inheritance so uh I'm glad to hear that you 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 look at public lands and do you see that connect also Absolutely
1: Absolutely, Idaho uh, is unique um, in it's, its just its beauty and the amount of land that we have. And with the, the prior logging, I know that those were private entities, but they always worked with the public. So there was access for the public through their property to get to camping, fishing, hunting, um, and it was a I think it was a very good relationship. It was symbiotic. And they, the people took care of the land so that the, the timber company could do what they needed to do. Um, it, it, I think there was a time when it really they really worked together. Now that the timber industry is declined um, and the land is for sale, uh, it, I don't necessarily have a problem buying people buying it if they still. Uh, maintain the access for the rest of the public and not fence that up, I think public lands really do need to stay in public hands. That is our legacy. That is what we pass on to the future. And Idaho is one of the few places, the few states that has so much of it. Um, It is is finite. um, And we need to keep it as the gem that it is.
0: Absolutely. And that definitely is... A state issue when it comes down to state lands People get mixed up with that I'm sure you understand it But we have Mm -hmm. lands that are under direct control Of a state government The land board And uh, Mm -hmm. there's been a serious decline It's shocking when I heard about this Not that long ago It's shocking how much of that public land uh, Has been sold off And like you say, it's finite You know, the old expression is God quit making acres a long time ago
1: (laughs) (laughs) True Very, very true, and I think that the, one of the issues that uh, I need to investigate and look in further is the connection between the public lands, the land board and funding public schools. This came up, I think, with the property uh, swap that they wanted to make in McCall on the Payette, uh, or on, um, yeah, the, payout, on Lake payout, the Trident Corporation wants to develop some lakefront property with the promise that there's access and it'll be natural and ecological. And um, I I don't know that they have any track record with that, but my concern is that we need to do something to get schools uh, out of that, um, out of the funding from the public lands because you only have a certain amount of resources. They are finite. And when you are done with them, then you have no more money for the schools, first of all. I need to investigate that more. Um, So that's just one of the issues that I, I I take issue with. That's one of the areas I take issue with. Plus, my concern is also is that our government, our legislature in Idaho, they shrink the budget. And I know that they think that they expand it, but I have seen it compared to growth getting smaller and smaller. And when they can't get money from one area, you know, they're not making the revenue that they expect or that they want or that they need, then all of a sudden the public lands are the other slush fund right. and can sell it off to the highest bidder. There's some more money. Uh, and that's not really how it should be working.
0: Not at all. That's- You're living off your, uh, off your uh, capital instead of your interest, if you will. One, and you know, like, and again, my perspective is public lands, you know, you're running at at the state level, but there is a state lands. A lot of people miss, miss that uh, for whatever reason. Uh, they were they were part of uh, the incorporation of Idaho as a state, uh, 16 and 36. Every township, uh, the state received two sections to help fund uh, higher education in the schools And again, it's shocking that the state, over uh, so many years, has uh, sold these. We're not, you know, if we ever were to get them back, we, we, you know, we know what would happen. You know, it was, it was, it's going to be a a sell low, buy high proposition. And uh, while they were state lands, they were open to to everybody, from Idaho or not. And again, I look upon all public lands as a worker issue because there are inheritance uh, if you live in town if you have a small a few acres uh, we have a little lot here on the river um the public lands is our backyard and uh and i just say thank god for them uh, you go up there uh if you want to cut firewood, it's a few few bucks on state land. And mm-hmm. uh, there you are. So, Ellen, I'm glad you brought that up. We had prepped earlier, though. We were going to talk about some more direct labor issues. Uh, if we mm-hmm. want to jump into that, uh, uh, it, you know, one of the big issues at the state level and also the federal level that affects workers, it, it's direct uh, data, how it affects wages and safety is right to work. Uh, we call it right to work for less in labor. Uh, and uh, it, this can be addressed at the legislature uh, you know, when and if we have the power behind us with labor. You want to talk about that a little? Yes. Um, I've actually
1: you know, I've experienced, I've been in business, I've worked you know, all of my life, and I've worked the last 30 years in Idaho so, or more. And the, the right to work is, it, it just, it, it, I, it To me, it's counterproductive. And what you said about being the right to pay less, the right to uh, to do less for the employee, is is more of what it is. And I think that you have it. It's backwards thinking. Um, In my experience, when you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of your business. And if the employees are taking care of your business, then you are going to be very, very well set, because it is in their best interest. To make that business run if you know right when i say a rising tide lifts all ships that is true and you have to start with your workers because if they are not helping you then they are hurting you um the right to work one of the things that i found though in my last um in my last job and i don't know that employees know this is that i don't believe that you can be let go just for anything for no reason there has to be a reason um, and my experience in that is that in trying to when they when they would terminate an employee there had to be backup in order to terminate that employee um, so it wasn't there had to be a cause it could not be just for anything and i think companies believe that this right to work is just i can hire and fire you whenever the mood sh- suits me um, and in some companies take advantage of that and that's where um, if you want to say unions or employee protection, there have to be laws that have teeth. And that's another issue with right to work is you may have rules and regulations, but they don't have they don't have teeth. Therefore, you know when you use them or apply them, it, it isn't going to help the employees. That has been my experience. Um, so to make rules, so to make laws that have no uh, consequence, is a waste of time and it doesn't help the employee i am i'm i don't like the term right to work and i don't like the way that they apply it i do have a question john and you might be able to answer this Um, as i'm going through the federal and the state um, laws when you have a union shop or when you have unions in an in a business that while you according to right to work other employees are not required to be part of the union. But is it true that the union must cover them if there are employee issues?
0: That's correct. And they must cover them in negotiations. So uh, from a, a union perspective, uh, uh, it, we call it free riding. And, you know, so yes. and and we do know that uh, union wages uh, uh, are better than non-union wages for the most part uh union wages uh, when you get a union job the gender gap is gone I was just talking to another guest yesterday about that male or female when you get on that job um there's no 25 50 percent differential uh because it's uh female next to the gender box instead of male uh, so that's another issue but yes unions have to uh negotiate for all workers are required by law though they can't require the um, uh the worker to pay their dues. I consider my dues an honor. Let's uh, I'll I'll lay it out right now. Uh, 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 per day, per hour. Um, typically, uh, I'm in, in the trades, Ellen, the, what we call the trades, construction. So uh, when you're not working, the the dues are a dollar a day. I mean, I can't get a cup of coffee at the minimark for a dollar. Um, and I consider it an honor. When you go to work, you pay what they call working dues. And that's more... And that's broken down. That's well categorized where it goes. A lot of it goes towards, um, uh, training and, uh, but you're right about the, um, let me go a little further, but you're talking about from an employer perspective. Um, I'll say this, uh, a lot of what we call the signatories, the contractors that agree to hire through union. Uh, it's a good deal. They get qualified workers. It They're they're documented to be qualified to what they do. If they're a journeyman, electrician, lineman, they're a journeyman, lineman. They've been qualified, went through an apprentice program. Uh, and they don't, and the, literally the contractor, if they're gearing up, they got a big project. They're going to replace 20 miles of utility poles. Uh, they pick up a phone, call the union hall, and say, "I need 20 linemen. I need five equipment operators. I need 10 of these, and that's it." Their, their HR demands are that much less. Uh, so uh, you're right on your first question, and I and I agree. You're right on the perspective from the employer. You have a, a stable on-demand workforce in such things as trades in more uh, stable. Workplaces where it's it's not like construction where you start a project and finish it. It's it's also the same thing, and you have uh, uh, a protocol to handle grievances instead of having to deal with one worker at a time.
1: Right. Well, I'm, I've been union all my life. John. My dad was a master carpenter in the carpenters union. Uh, I grew up at east um, and he was always working. And if he was in between shops, then he could go to the union hall and he always had work. He never missed it. He did not come back a day without saying, well, they didn't need anybody today. And that was a benefit to our family. Um, we I have five brothers and sisters. And for us to uh, have our union dues did pay, the, the benefits were medical. He paid them faithfully every year. Um, his medic, our medical was always covered. The training that they provided, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate with union is this training that they provide or that they require uh, and then continue to provide and safety. I am all about safety. I was a risk manager for a community college and I knew I worked at Washington Group International prior to that. So and if you know anything about Washington Group International, they were a platinum partner with OSHA um and our safety record was unparalleled and i learned a lot about worker safety through them and continued to go to their safety symposiums even after i left Um, um, i was certified at one time and i didn't see that that there was a requirement to update that but unions to me they took care of the employees they provided a, a living wage at least i mean and i'll say even better than a living wage but I can remember my dad, we raised five kids on his salary, which was unprecedented at the time. And the around me were firefighters, police, plumbers, and electrician. I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood and everybody was in the trades or in fire police and everybody was in a union and it was just the world I lived in. And it, to me, it, that, that you would not have that was, uh, you know, it. it I could not believe that you would have, you would work without a union. Why would you do that? And someone who's worked in business and in risk management, um, I would, if I, when I know that I hire a union person, I know that they are trained, that they know what they're doing, that they are going to do the job safely. And that, to me, is one of the most critical areas because safety was part of my job. I had to make sure that that was, um, that, that that happened, you know. I
0: was responsible for it. That's a good point, Ellen. Uh, again, right to work is documented. A right to work states they have a higher uh, injury and uh, death rate for workers compared to states that don't have that right to work requirement. Um, uh, and as far as training, uh, the combination, the, the consortium, if you will, between uh, the contractors associations and the unions, as example, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers work with regional, uh, 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 regional, national electrical contractors associations. The vocational apprenticeship training by the unions and their partners on the contractor side is the largest vocational training program in the United States. More than any community college, uh, all the community colleges put together puts out. It doesn't cost the taxpayer. Uh, sent. Um, going back to your neighborhood, you know, I could envision that, you know, those are rock solid neighborhoods like you talked about. And uh, when you hear, let's just say, the other side talk about community values and family values, we know what we've seen across this country in the last 30, 40 years uh, when neighborhood after neighborhood, uh, town after town, city after city has had that undermined. Uh, that's a kind of a tangent there. Uh, But uh, speaking of training, then let's get into uh, what came up in Boise last term, last session. And that was the assault on the apprentice Brunemann ratio, uh, the idea that uh, that weakened the standards uh, while apprentices do get paid uh, while they're working, which is a great benefit. They come out of their training without any debt. They're literally making a wage, building up their pensions. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It's absolute linchpin to the program to the proper training and the proper safety of the customer be it your house or your business if the person wiring it uh is is properly supervised slash trained it,
1: it blows my mind that i was looking at that and they did they did have a bill go through um, it was printed this in 2020 that gave unlimited that there was no ratio required um i did want to see that it passed I, I saw that it was printed um, i understand i, I understand little
0: actually vetoed it and uh and um it, which says a lot again to our our uh, organization down in boise right. their efforts but yeah but, but you can get guarantee that when you're down there as uh, a senator for eagle and district 14 uh you you probably could guess that, that uh, it's going to come off under no rock again.
1: Well, this is just, you know, all I can speak to is, it's like adding more kids to the classroom. Um, we're complaining about that already. This is the same thing, but to me it has, you know, it has a more immediate danger, if you want to say, because I don't think one person can supervise 10 um, beginners and, and know that they're all and have eyes on, on everything that they're doing. And my husband is a firefighter, you know, he knows and he has seen it. It's actually what started him in, in, in the firefighting career is a house burning because, you know, of electrical. That's the one of the leading causes of home fires is faulty electrical wiring.
0: Right. Right. That's interesting, Ellen. Excuse me. Again, I want to reintroduce you if people are going to come on to this when we play it. This is Ellen Spencer. She's running for Idaho Senate district 14 state senate district 14 eagle part of meridian uh what you said a real diverse uh district uh facing some real serious challenges uh, i was in firefighting and uh that's another protocol where um you have to follow the proper staffing procedures before you enter a burning house so that's that's a, that's an interesting um a perspective that you have coming from your husband from family uh right now who wants a house or a business uh improperly wired?
1: It's to me, it's my Um If I'm going to have those kinds of things, I specifically when we have done remodeling or building, it's like you need to find. You know, they have to be union. They have to be. You know, they have to be in the trade. They have to be licensed. Um, and I know that that's taking a hit. People are, why do we have to license? It's like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe that you're asking that question. Um, we could apply that to
0: so many other areas, like driving. So, <laughs> yes, they have to be licensed. This is not. us. Kind of how about like surgery? Should we? Should we just let you know? You have to be. Uh, you know, just let anyone do surgery, right? I mean, you know, more people. More people are going to die from poorly wired homes than are going to die on the operating table. So. Yes. Yes. Well, that's what I, mean. so I watched. My father. I watched family. I
1: watched. Um, my brother, she, you know, he's a police officer in the union, and the training that they get and the training that they have to go through, and it's it just um, between, and in other industries, between protecting the employee and raising the wage to a living wage, and especially in Idaho, especially now, uh, people here cannot afford the houses that are being built. People cannot afford to live, at, couldn't buy their own homes if they weren't already in it and in the wages, I don't know anyone that can rent an apartment at, or anything at seven 25 an hour. Um, and at $15 an hour, it's still a stretch. You'll need two of those jobs.
0: That's a good um, point, Ellen. And, uh, and yeah, because the argument on our minimum wage is that the cost of living in Idaho is, uh, is lower. And I said, like what, I mean, gasoline's no. more expensive, food's more expensive. You have no. to have wheels. Which is fine, but you have to have wheels. Yep. So either you you're getting into a clunker, as we say, and God bless. I admire anyone that keep can keep those running. I never learned enough to do so that can wrench on those. And you know, people say, "Well, why do they have two, three vehicles in their front yard?" I said, "Well, because they need spare parts to keep the one running." So, uh, right. uh, or you have to get into debt to buy a vehicle. I mean, you have to drive for medical appointments. You have to drive for a certain amount of shopping no matter how much you try to support your local businesses. Uh, and so uh, to me, that's, uh, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a term. That's not a valid argument, and certainly not at $7 an hour uh, somewhere in Idaho. I mean, we do love our lifestyle. We do love being spread out. Uh, but if we can't afford to live here, uh, what's the point?
1: Right. back to your original, um, the original topic about apprentice, training and ratios, I think that they should be capable. That is the way to train them safely, comprehensively. I think that the apprentice would appreciate it because they know that while they're learning, they will have someone who has their back. And while they're learning, they are bound to make mistakes. That's part of the learning process. But to have someone who has the experience to show you why that doesn't work and how that'll give you confidence going forward. So, But you can't do it with, with 10 people. You just can't have eyes on all 10. And I, I just don't think it's cost-effective in the end. It really isn't.
0: That's a good point. And you have to wonder that, I mean, they may get away with it in some places. Uh, and so you have to really wonder what's the point behind that Um ellen and i appreciate you stating your position on that one more thing we were going to talk about uh that came up in the 2020 legislature was the weakening uh, protections for workers uh southern idaho especially i mean our whole portion of the state that you're in not so much up here with its big agricultural business which is great everyone knows idaho potatoes but we produce Mm -hmm. enormous amount of crops seed onions if i get down Uh, down that way. I'm so impressed with the infrastructure there. It's uh, uh, something to be proud of in Idaho, absolutely. But we saw an attempt to uh, weaken the protections for for our workers, the least among us, against uh, pesticide exposure to begin with, which to me is uh, is horrible even to think about. It it, it really is. Um, I was
1: reading the happened just even here you know they start out in marcy and i you know my first stop in idaho where i live was up in the wood river valley but i spent um, i knew a lot of farmers ranchers and people of that ilk and that's where i kind of cut my teeth when i first came to idaho um, and the farms are vast, and to um to be the article that i was reading the fact that they would not consider it just seems to be very negligent it seems to be very blasé and you're when you're using chemicals that are killing something you know that they are going to have an, an adverse impact on human beings there is no there's no discussion there that that's just a fact and to be so cavalier with people's lives um is is, is mind-boggling to me and they are the least A lot of the farmers are the the Mexican farmers that are coming on. I think it's the H-2A program. And these people matter. And just because they're not here permanently, perhaps, um, some of them are, but at least they're getting there. It's becoming that way because if if you can farm year round or if you can farm most of the year, it's advantageous to stay. But these people matter. And regardless of what they're doing or how they're working, and you need to attend to them. And the article to me was the examples that they were showing that the farms they didn't know and they weren't required to, and that's not my land, that's my family's, my other family's land. You have to communicate with that. This is a no brainer. When I worked at College of Western Idaho, um, we hired a gentleman to oversee our safety program because he had great experience and environmental safety and health. And he knew OSHA and he knew chemicals and he knew how to, you know, what the laws were and what you needed to do to be in compliance. And we were required to have lists and papers and sheets for the minimal amount of chemicals that we had in the college, mostly for our science labs. Um, Why wouldn't you apply that same veracity to farm workers and to that industry to keep them safe, to keep them being able to do the work that they're doing for you. Um it's, I don't again, I don't believe it's that much more expensive. It just takes some careful thought and um, you know, thinking about someone else.
0: That's a good point. And no one's no one is advocating uh for the elimination of the use of these chemicals. Uh what we're advocating for is a safe use for uh, our fellow human beings. And for the land, I mean, I mean, no one is. I'm not advocating. There's folks that do. I respect their opinion. Uh, you know, advocating for uh, no use or less use. But that wasn't even the issue. All the issue was uh, is that they, they're that we practice uh, uh, safely the use of these chemicals. Like you say, if they're if they're going to kill something, there's inherent risk to the rest of life, and uh, and. Uh, let's let's walk the walk when we start talking about uh valuing u- human life again these are the, the least of our brothers or sisters they're out right. doing out doing the work uh that's been done since um you know for tens of thousands of years uh putting food out there um iho's known for it it's it's obviously uh foundational for our economy and uh, uh let's step up on that so i'm glad I'm, it, it's just it's uh encouraging to hear your position on that. Again, Ellen Spencer, you're down there in District 14 of Idaho State Legislature. You're running for the State Senate. Uh, boy, I tell you, I appreciate anyone that's willing to step up uh, and enter into uh, uh, civil civil good, civic society. Uh, we need people like you out there, Ellen. Um, we're getting on to the end, about half hour there. Is there anything else you want to cover?
1: benefits to workers that uh, I, I, I do believe in them and I believe in their strengths we only have fire uh, who has they're allowed to collective bargain our fire our police and our teachers and our teachers aren't even considered a union I think that's the Idaho Education Association right um, and it's These are the areas that always seem to catch the flak first, that that they want to reduce. I like the fact that they have training. They require it. And that's so important for these people who are training others, for these people who are keeping us safe um, in terms of fire and and police, to not have unions, to not have the training, um, to not have the constant training that unions provide and, you know, back up. I, you know, that, to me, that that's just my you. That's what I'm most grateful for for them. They keep them safe, and they do pay them well for the job that they do for protecting our lives, protecting our properties, protecting our loved ones. Our teachers train our children. Our teachers, if, if you think that it's just a, a nine to three job, you know, from September to the, to you know May, you haven't been a teacher because it goes a lot longer than that, and it lasts all year. At least for the teachers, all of the teachers I know, and all of the teachers I've had.
0: Uh, Absolutely, we have a we have a fifth grade teacher. Our youngest daughter and uh, another daughter right here in um, Idaho County. She's a counselor at one of the schools. It is year round. It certainly is past three o'clock. Um, you either stay late. I mean, it comes down to. Uh, personal decisions either stay late to finish your work or you take it home you know and uh mm-hmm. and it says you know it's kind of a sixes right six of one half dozen of the other mm-hmm. um yeah th- and that that's interesting ellen um anyone that's going to hear this if they're interested in getting on board with you how can they uh f- find out more
1: well they can email me at um, info at spencer for idaho.com. Dot- and i do get the emails and i do respond to them if they want to have a conversation i'll be happy to chat anytime and we're getting very busy in this last month up to the election so um, let me know asap and i can get you on my calendar um, and i really appreciate your time and, and giving me this time john i really do thank you
0: oh thank you i love talking about it uh god bless you for stepping up like i say with uh uh, we need to regain. Uh, we need to regain the idea of the civic good, Ellen. And uh, you're doing more than your part. I'm going to uh, stop uh, recording here. Stand in line for a second. Ellen Spencer running for state senate district 14 in the great state of Idaho.